This is a Pivotal Conversations podcast. Hello and welcome to the Girl Fit Method podcast. I'm your host, Natasha Wakefield, and I am here to help you take charge of your health, get empowered, and ultimately become the best version of yourself. Let's go. Hello and welcome back. I have an incredible podcast for you today. I was lucky enough to interview the amazing Holly from Beyond the Sweat. She is a nutrition coach, a strength and conditioning coach, and she lives in the UK. And we spoke about hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is the lack of periods that come from generally over-exercising, under-fueling and excess stress. This really affects a lot of women. So I'm really happy to bring you this podcast. It's going to provide a heap of value. So let's get into the interview. So hello, Holly, and welcome to the Girl Fit Method podcast. Um, so excited to have you here. I just wanted you to introduce yourself, let us know a little bit about you and what you do. Hi, Tash. I'm so excited to be here. I love the power of the internet that we can connect from opposite sides of the world. Super awesome. And yeah, so me, I'm Holly and I'm a nutritionist and a strength coach. I'm currently based in the UK, but as you know, I'm kind of a little bit all over the globe, having lived in China for the last nine years and also and now kind of between UK and San Francisco. And my business is Beyond the Sweat, so-called because I felt that a lot of people, when they think about health and fitness, are very focused on the workout side of things and on like judging how successful a workout is based on how big the sweat angel they leave behind is. And so Beyond the Sweat, I started to try and teach people what else there is beyond the sweat when it comes to health and fitness. And I work almost entirely with women. I do have a couple of male clients who I love, but primarily with women because I just feel like for women, there's so much misinformation out there in the health and fitness industry. And we're constantly being bombarded with contradictory marketing. And women are just so confused and so frustrated and taught not to trust their bodies. There's this big separation that we need to try and heal. And so with my clients, that's often what I'm working on. So I'm working on helping women stop feeling so lost around their food and nutrition and really learning to understand their bodies and understand nutrition, but also to trust their bodies, which I think is something that I know you and I have probably both struggled with a lot and it takes a lot of work and I'm here to help people with that work. I love that. That is so good. It's so true as well, isn't it? We are just bombarded with marketing in particular females are with Firstly, just unrealistic expectations of what we should look like. And then in order for us to feel like we need to look a certain way, the way to do that is to generally eat a lot less, exercise more. And, you know, that's just so unsustainable. And so you find women in this cycle of wanting to lose weight, severely cutting their calories, exercising like crazy. And, you know, I can completely relate to the point that women feeling like the more sweaty they are after a workout, the better the workout, which is just so incorrect. And so education is so critical that we feed the correct information to women. So they get off that that cycle of just not getting anywhere because it is incredibly frustrating. And usually they're working really hard and not seeing the results. So education is key. But then also, like you said, learning to trust your body, which is a very long process for a lot of us. 
It's really long and it's also something that I feel like a lot of women aren't even aware that they're struggling with, you know, and even from my own journey, like as a health and fitness professional, where I had all the knowledge, but the awareness that I wasn't trusting my body and that I was trying to fill that gap with like extra knowledge and extra rules and extra guidelines for myself. That took me a long time to even work that out. So a lot of my clients who come to me with something like a weight loss goal or which usually is because you've tried other things and you're frustrated they're not working the way you expected or the way you wanted them to very often the reason that that stuff isn't working is that lack of self-trust and even just realizing that we don't have that self-trust with ourselves yet I think is a huge step yeah and can I get you just to expand on that a little bit like in your personal journey of not being able to trust yourself like what did that practically look like for you in your day-to-day. Absolutely. And I think this is a trap that a lot of women get sucked into. And that was, you know, the start of my health and fitness journey was with a, a goal of controlling the shape of my body. And it kind of went in a better direction and then into like circled back round into the bad direction. So just as a background, basically I was never an athletic kid. I was very academic. That was a big focus for me. And it wasn't until when I was living in China, actually, a good friend of mine opened like the third CrossFit gym in the country at that time. So he was pretty early on and he asked me to come and like trial out his on-ramp course to help him out. And I I went and was like, okay, Tim, but like, I don't want to get any muscles. I just want to get skinny. And he sort of like rolled his eyes and was like, like, whatever, just, (laughs) just come to the gym. And I was like, fine, just to help you out. And so I went and had never done any of these like strength-based movements before, found it really interesting, was kind of like, oh, wow, like I can do nothing. Like I couldn't press an empty barbell over my head. And I was like, I feel like my body should be able to do more stuff. And that was the start of my journey into sort of a better place, I think, which was like really embracing the fact that my body was able to do things I didn't think previously possible by this training and persevering. But where that sort of came to bite me in the butt was that as those body changes happened, which were happening sort of like as a by the by of getting stronger and focusing on what my body could do, I started to get more compliments, right? More compliments based on my appearance and people being like, wow, like, how did you do that? Like, I wish I could, you know, look like you. And these things you absorb and you suck them into your subconscious, even if you don't realize it. And It was mainly when I started competing in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which is a weight class sport, that I started learning to manipulate my body weight in order to, you know, be in a higher or lower weight class for jiu-jitsu competition. And again, it was one of those things where at the time that was not based on appearance. I was like, oh, let me see if I can do better in a lower weight class. But it became this dual thing of like the physical compliments you get, plus The fact that when I did go into a lower weight class, I was pretty successful in competing. And like the first time I got two gold medals, just as an example, and that reinforced it for me. I was like, wow, like I, people give me more compliments in a smaller body and I'm performing better in a smaller body. So like, fantastic. This must be the place to be. Like I'm getting so much positive feedback on all fronts. And this sort of went into this cycle of, okay, so I need to start controlling more. Because to get to the place I'd gotten, I'd gone from not controlling at all when I had no interest in health and fitness to then controlling a little bit. And I was like, okay, cool. So a little bit of control got me here. What could more control do? 
Like what, what else can I, you know, quote unquote, improve if I continue to control things? And so I got into this cycle of like controlling my food more, adding more training volume. I think that's a big trap that people fall into both of those things. It's like, what else can I control in my diet? What else can I control in my training? Where can I add more? Like, where can I do more? I think that is people's mentality is okay. Like you were saying, eating less and exercising at the time made you look like you felt you looked better. You got smaller. And so you automatically just think, well, the more exercise I do and the less I eat, the better I'll look, the better I'll feel. Yeah. I have to say, even with the food side of things, I started out doing it from a performance point of view. Like I was very interested in nutrition around performance and like nutrient timing and all this stuff and fueling. And I thought that I was eating a lot of food. And just to give an example, like I was, I still am five, three, and I was about 60, uh, 58 kilos. So I don't know what that is, 125 pounds, something like that. And I was eating like 2,500 calories a day, which for most women, and we can talk about this, but like, there's sort of a number we tend to set in our heads of like, this is acceptable intake for a woman. And therefore, if I'm very active, like this is acceptable intake. And so in my head, I was like, 2,500 calories, way more than most women are eating. Like, obviously it must be enough. Way and, more than most women are eating. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and, yet, and yet my body started to fall apart at that because of yeah. the amount of stress and training volume I was putting onto it. So it's just so important for women to work on separating like reality and what your body actually needs from what we've been taught that it needs and we've internalized that it needs. For me personally, in my story, I think I can really relate in that I definitely thought I was eating enough as well. I was exercising a lot. So, you know, my background was a little bit different to yours in that it wasn't really performance-based. You know, I wasn't particularly competing in any kind of sport, but I definitely was really enjoyed exercise and very quickly, like you, I figured out it made me look a certain way and I liked that. I thought the more, the better, the less when it comes to food, the better. Before I knew it, I became really scared about eating more than a certain amount. I became quite anxious if I couldn't work out on certain days. And it ended up all consuming all of my thoughts all of the time. And you almost become a slave to it, don't you? Oh my God, absolutely. And I think what you just touched on about that sort of the fear thing is at the center of all of this, right? And so we're taught to, by marketing as well, we're taught to fear our bodies and to fear our loss of control. But on the opposite end of the spectrum is the self-trust that we all actually wish we had. You know, like when you see someone and you're like, wow, they're so confident in themselves. It's not because their body looks a certain way. It's because they trust themselves and that comes across in how they carry themselves, right? And so there's this in-between. So like how I like to think of this spectrum is there's fear at one end, there's self-control on the other end and, and control is kind of a sliding scale in the middle. And so what you and I both went towards was like this trying to control ourselves and our bodies out of fear. Whereas if we can know that we want to move towards self-trust, and we can start to be like, okay, cool. I, I still need some control right now because trying to jump straight to the self-trust side is so scary. And yeah, that's where that fear is, right? Of like going all the way off the rails to the other end. Like that can feel scary. So starting off by being like, okay, cool. I'm in this fear place. I understand that. and I'm trying to control a lot of things out of fear. How could I still keep some of my control, but start to build it towards self-trust. So how can I start controlling things with a goal of self-trust rather than a goal of feeding into my fear? 
I think that is huge. And the other thing you mentioned is our personal stories. And I think a lot of people, and I hadn't done this until I started my HA journey, which we can talk about, but digging, taking the time to dig back into where your personal body image story came from. And then also looking around you right now and being like, what are the influences on my body image right now? And how are these things feeding into that fear control side of things? This episode, we really wanted to delve into the condition known as hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is a really long, scary word. But basically what that means is lack of period. So which can happen when we underconsume, when we overexercise, when we've got too much stress, there is a few different reasons why it occurs, but it's actually incredibly common. And both me and you, Holly, are in the fitness industry, and I would say it's quite rife within the fitness industry and different sports, um, as well as bodybuilding and competing. A lot of girls that compete will lose their period, but just your general gym goers as well and girls that like to keep active, that like to run, it can really affect a lot of people. So did you want to share a bit of your story? And we'll shorten it by saying HA. So that's hypothalamic amenorrhea because it's a really long word. (laughs) Did you want to delve into a bit of your HA story and that recovery process as well? Yes, totally. So my story with HA. So I was working as, yeah, like you said, we were both in the fitness industry. I was working as a trainer and a nutritionist in Shanghai. And as part of that process, I started reading a lot more on female hormones and menstrual cycles all this stuff in the background just for self-education, but not thinking at that time that it applied to me because I had an IUD at the time, a hormonal IUD. And with the hormonal IUD, it's actually pretty common to not have a period for the duration of time that you have the IUD. And so it wasn't something that ever crossed my mind, like whether or not my menstrual cycle was regular because I had an IUD. So how would I know? So that's one of the, you know, despite that being probably my still most recommended form of hormonal birth control if you are concerned about hormonal imbalances it can mask it and that was kind of the case for me and so as I started doing more reading I was like oh I I feel like I kind of tick every single box in terms of the symptoms of a hormonal imbalance that being things like low energy not recovering as well from workouts insomnia low sex drive yeah sort of dry skin and, and then, you know, the, the criteria of it being like people who train a ton, people who maybe don't eat enough, people who are constantly <laughs> under high stress. Exactly. I was like, ooh, me, 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 me. Like every single one of these is me. And so at that point, I made the decision to remove my IUD because I wanted to see where my hormones were at. And so I got my IUD removed and waited the three months they often recommend to wait because that's the length of your follicular cycle so it can take that long for things to come back so also a good point to mention I sometimes find people like oh yeah I came off the pill for a month my cycle was there so then I went back on the pill and I'm like okay cool but let's do that three month check-in period to actually know what's going on after that three month check-in period nothing happened so At that point, I was kind of like, okay, not terribly unexpected for me. Like, let me dive into fixing this. What I didn't realize at that point, obviously, was that the path was going to be quite long. And so it did actually take me, it took me about two and a half years to get my period back. And we can talk about why that was. But the crazy thing is that like getting your period back when you do have HA, 
the physical things you have to do are actually very simple. And once I actually committed to doing them, the recovery process was quite fast, but it's the mental side of it that is really the biggest barrier, I think, for most of us. I don't know if you had felt the same way. Oh, yeah, it's terrifying. So I'm just thinking back to when my journey started. So I too have had HA. I knew that's what I had. So I think we've both read the book, No Period, Now What?, which is a really great resource for anyone that is going through HA. And I knew that was my problem and I knew for a really long time that I was terrified to fix it because I knew what I needed to do. Basically, the way to recover from HA is simply to eat more and exercise less. Yeah, the process of, and I mean, we can delve more into both of our recovery process. I did get my period back. That was a really slow, hard process where I really needed to do I really needed to do both. So I couldn't just cut out exercise, but keep eating the amount that I was eating. I couldn't increase my calories and just keep exercising. I knew that I needed to make big changes, but those big changes were completely terrifying because I did think that I was going to blow up. I thought that I was going to put on a lot of weight and I did hold a lot of importance on my physical appearance. And I really identified with that as who I was. And if I lost that, if I lost the way that I looked, then who was I? The physical things that you needed to do were easy. The mental aspect of things that was really difficult and actually actioning that as well, which was a really hard process. So for me, the way that I recovered is it was a long process, but I eventually dialed down my training a lot. So I was doing a lot of high intensity exercise and I completely switched to just lifting weights and more focusing on strength. So doing low reps and completely, completely cut out cardio, which, you know, sounds like not a big deal if you weren't obsessed with doing exercise and weren't obsessed with doing cardio. It was a huge, huge change for me and very uncomfortable. So I cut back to four days of weight training and I bumped up my calories by about a thousand calories more than what I was eating. So it was an incredibly uncomfortable process. And I can tell you that it was really transformative because number one, I wasn't exhausted all the time. I had energy. I was thinking clearer. I felt like I was always, I always had brain fog. And I think that came down to the fact that I was exhausted all the time, but wasn't fueling my body correctly. And my performance in the gym improved and my body improved. And I think that was because I wasn't under so much stress. And I was also because I was fueling my body correctly, I was building muscle. And so we all know that, you know, muscle equals that toned look. And so even though it wasn't about the physical for me, it was a great experience for me to realize that what I was doing more, more, more and exercising so that I'm, you know, feeling completely exhausted and hardly eating anything wasn't working. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to say that I think one of the biggest things I got out of the recovery process, you know, besides getting my period back was not having that constant terror of my body changing. And although that process was really uncomfortable to go through, 
I would encourage anyone who's out there who does feel this like extreme need to control their body and control what they're eating to think about starting to work towards that. And you can do it at your own pace. And even if you don't have HA or any kind of menstrual cycle dysregulation, it still would be just such an empowering process to go through this body image work and come out the other side being like, wow, I could accept my body any shape. And the fact is that when you have that realization, you're so much more likely to end up with, you know, quote unquote, healthier body shape because you're not trying to fight it because you're actually trying to work with your body instead of battling it and trying to beat it into submission constantly. 100%. That is what happens all the time. And I always say this to my girls that when you are under consuming, you're not eating adequate amounts of food. All you're going to think about is eating food. And that is when you binge. That's when that guilt binge cycle happens. You know, you restrict, restrict, restrict. You're exercising like a maniac. And so you're starving all the time. You can't sustain that for long periods of time. You end up binging. And it's just this cycle and you don't end up getting anywhere. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't want to sugarcoat this recovery process because although for some women it might not require a huge amount of weight gain or completely cutting out exercise, for some women it can. But knowing that those changes can be temporary, I think there's a big fear among women that if our bodies change, we'll be stuck like that forever. But the fact is that, you know, if health is a priority for you, then a healthy menstrual cycle should also be a priority for you. And, you know, putting that first for a while and letting your body go through a different season of life, even if that's temporary, is going to be better for your body composition in the long run. Because you can't, you obviously can't keep doing what you're doing. And this was kind of the realization that I came to. And for me, that process did require some weight gain for sure. And the, but the power of that was working through all that body image stuff because I knew I would have to go through that and just feeling so much more free at the end. I was like, wow, like, thank God I had to gain this weight because now I have such a better relationship with my body than I did when I had a six pack, which I had maintained for like three years straight. And so my recovery process, I did, you know, like you, Natasha, I was doing a lot of high intensity exercise at the beginning of it, probably all the most high intensity things you can think of. So I was doing CrossFit. That's what the gym that I was running was a CrossFit gym. I was doing Spartan race and I was coaching for them and I was doing Brazilian jujitsu. Those are three pretty (laughs) high intensity things. And I had like decided that I should do them all. (laughs) Yeah, That was where I'd gone. And so I think some of your recovery process is also going to depend on how deep the hole you dug for yourself was. And I dug it decently deep with all this stuff. And so for me, I did try just reducing my training and I tried just doing weight training. And personally, for my body, that wasn't enough. And so what helped me a lot, so I actually worked with Nicola Rinaldi directly, who is the author of No Period, Now What? And she her recommendation was to be trying to keep my heart rate under 100 beats per minute for the majority of whatever exercise I was doing. And she was like, you could try keeping strength training in, but like, don't do it back to back days. And I tried it. And I just realized that what my body needed was to actually embrace slowing down. And that for me, by by trying to keep that stuff in, I was still trying to hold on to a little bit of my old body or my old identity or whatever that was. And so for me, the big change was, yeah, besides eating a lot more. So I was still eating 2,500 calories a day, but now I was not training at all. So I was just doing walks and I was doing yoga. 
And those were the only two things I was doing. And like after three months of that, like having fought this battle for like two and a half years, after three months of that, my period came back. Part of it was frustrating. So I was like, wow, imagine if I'd just done this earlier. But the other part of me was like, actually, I needed that, you know, two and a half years before this to work through all the sort of emotional baggage that I had packed around exactly what you said, like your identity as like the girl with abs and being like, all right, I needed that time to unpack that first before I could get to that stage where it was like, all right, now I'm ready to actually slow down. And I think a lot of us who have HA have also just that fear of slowing down and a fear of like not being productive all of the time, like a fear of stillness. Mm. And I think part of that fear of stillness is what thoughts come up for us in that moment of stillness, where it's like a lot of thoughts of like, not being enough in some way or like what else should I be doing to like catch up and make myself worthy and so learning to be okay with sitting with those kind of thoughts I think is also like strangely a big part of HA recovery is like learning to be okay with being still. I mean that was my experience as well absolutely I just was distracting myself from what I knew I needed to deal with And feeling that with exercise and with looking a certain way, the only way that you can move on from something and work through something is to sit in the yuck, is to sit in the hard stuff and experience it and then you're able to move on. And that is not easy. But if you don't do that, you'll just be continuously running from it. For me as well, it took me a long time. I also just wanted to mention that even though I was still able to continue to exercise, I did need to put weight on. And I kind of knew that for me. I knew that I after, like once I hit a certain, talk about your, your set point with your weight. Once I got under a certain weight, I knew... And even now, if I have a few times gotten under that weight and my period's gone. So I know that, okay, my body isn't happy there. And just accepting that, that is not my healthy place. I just want to point out also before we go forward that HA can happen at any kind of body fat percentage and any kind of body weight. And it is a stress driven thing. So you don't necessarily have to be like rocking a six pack in order for this to be relevant to you. Like it can happen at any body weight. But, you know, with that being said, like that maintaining that low of a body weight, as Tash said, like one significantly below your set point, that's a stressor on your body, right? So, and your body doesn't distinguish between mental stress, emotional stress, physical stress. It sees it all as the same thing. So if you're layering stressful job on top of high intensity training, on top of under eating, on top of maintaining a very lean body, there's a lot of stresses for your body to be under consistently. And so at that point when I was super lean, I have to say that I liked my body. When I had a six pack, I was pretty confident about my body. But the point was, because I liked my body at that weight, I was very terrified of losing it. So although I liked how I looked, I wasn't fully enjoying how I looked because I still had this sort of constant underlying fear of like, what if I lose my abs? And this was fed into, like I said before, by a lot of appearance related compliments. And I, you know, I fed into that. Like my, if you scroll back on my Instagram two years, most of the photos are of me with abs and then people commenting on them being like, wow, abs. And I was like, cool. Like this is what, this must be the most interesting thing about me because that's what everyone's commenting on. 
Like the time when everyone was asking me the most, like, what are you doing to like maintain this body was the time where I was the most like, probably you shouldn't be doing any of the things that I'm doing (laughs) to maintain this body. And part of what I did when I was working on recovery from hypothalamic amenorrhea was to go through my Instagram feed and just take out anyone that was posting pictures of abs. And it wasn't because I disliked those people. Like a lot of them were like people that I quite liked or like athletes that I thought were really cool. But at that point in my life for me, that those images coming up over and over again wasn't helpful because of exactly what you said, which is that comparison game. And so making sure that what you're seeing day to day, like at least a part of it that you can control and cultivate, like things like your social media feed, make that a pleasant place for you to be, like make your social media environment more positive. And it doesn't mean you have to like dislike the people that you're unfollowing. It just means that right now for you, those aren't the right people to be coming up. And making your feed more inclusive, I think is really help like have different body shapes on your feed so you're seeing those because we absorb it even subconsciously. And one thing that I can't remember who came up with this exercise, but I took it from somewhere and I often have my clients do this when they're struggling with body image, which is that you can go onto Google, you can open Google and you can go in and type in fit woman and look at what comes up. And like, do you see yourself represented in those pictures? The answer is probably no, because it's almost all like white, thin women, not super muscular, you know, not super muscular, all in crop tops, all have long hair. Like there's no disabilities. There's very few tattoos. Like there's not a lot of like different body shapes represented there. So if you think about that, like that's the biggest search engine in the world. And that's what comes up when you type in fit woman. Is it any wonder that that's what you've internalized? And the same thing when you type in, if you then go and type in healthy woman, it's now like most of them now have tops on. They're all tank tops. It's still pretty much the same woman. And a large proportion of women, when you type in healthy women eating salads, you didn't type in healthy nutrition for women. You just typed in healthy woman. And yet half those pictures are women eating salads. So again, is it any wonder that we've internalized that in order to be healthy, I have to subsist on only salads. Like that's what we're being shown all the time. And so those areas of it, you can't necessarily control. But your social media feed is within your control. And I think it's a really powerful tool to start working on just changing what you're seeing. So what you're internalizing as ideal body image is different. You consume visually really does impact your thoughts and being mindful of that. And we do need to take control of that. It sometimes can be, I mean, we all like to look at attractive people. (laughs) It's just the way it is, right? The issue is, is that especially women as we compare and we just can't help ourselves. And so if you're in a space, especially when you're recovering from HA, seeing those kinds of images are just really not going to be helpful at all. What I'm thinking we could also do is as we um, wrap this up would be to give someone, if they are in this particular situation and they're going through this journey of recovering from HA, what your top three tips for them would be. Yeah. So obviously this is going to depend a little bit on you as a person, like what stage of this you're at and what your personality is. But if you're someone like me, who's quite a big fan of structure and, you know, Tash, both you and I talked a lot about enjoying control and change and that having ended up in a fear place. But if you wanted to not feel like you're out of control, but work towards more of that self-trust that we talked about earlier, like I think a first great step is just education. So just educate yourself without the pressure that you have to do anything with that knowledge right now. Like take that pressure off of yourself so that you can actually absorb the information without like as you're reading the information, 
feeling very defensive, like, but I don't want to do that. I don't have to do that. And so for education, I think some great sources besides the No Period Now What book, which I think is fantastic. Also, Lara Bryden's Period Repair Manual. If you've been, come, uh, even if you haven't been coming off of the pill, but Jolene Brighton's Beyond the Pill, whether or not you're coming off the pill, I think is a great book. But if you are coming off the pill and you're dealing with sort of post-birth control amenorrhea, fantastic book. And there's other books too in there, sort of Nicole Jardin's book as well. And like the fifth vital sign. There's a lot of really good books. And I think just starting off with educating yourself without the pressure to do anything right now. So like take that judgment off yourself. And then the second thing would be if you've educated yourself and you're like, okay, cool. Now I, now I understand what's going on. I'm in a place where I'm ready to make some changes would then be to like basically first confirm that you have HA. So get some testing done. And if you have HA and you don't have a regular cycle, doing that testing might be a little bit more complicated than someone with a regular cycle. And so working with an integrative medicine practitioner, I think is really important and probably going to be better than with your normal GP. Because most GPs, when you go there, if you don't have a regular period, their first recommendation will be some kind of birth control to quote unquote regulate your period. When what we actually know is that when you have a period on the pill, that it isn't actually a period. It's just a withdrawal bleed from the pill. So you haven't actually fixed anything. That was getting some testing done. That mm-hmm. is my experience. And also, um, just to keep in mind, I was misdiagnosed with PCOS and that happens a lot as well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And both are stress driven, right? So the treatment to those two things can be somewhat similar, but they're going to require like some different stuff going on. So making sure you work with a doctor that has experience in this area is going to be really key and getting some testing done to work out. Because for some people, it's going to be more low estrogen driven for some people it's going to be more low progesterone driven some people might be both so like working out where you are at in order to work out how to then work on this so you basically want to get tested estrogen progesterone follicular stimulating hormone luteinizing hormone and probably a thyroid panel and and like an actual thyroid panel not just tsh which is what most doctors will test and potentially also some adrenal testing because all of these systems are really connected. It's called your HPA axis. And so working out what's going on for you with that HPA axis will be really key. And then once you have that info, if you're ready to just go and act on that yourself, having read the books and having the knowledge, and then having had the test done to like confirm that actually is what you have in the first place, then you can go ahead and just start working on this stuff. But if you are in a place like Tash and I were, where you still have a lot of like the mental battle side of this going on, then working with a coach or a professional who is experienced in helping women through this, I think could be really helpful for you just to give yourself a, the extra accountability to actually stick with working with it. Cause there are going to be a lot of times that you want to give up. And I sure had those times where I was like, screw it. Maybe I just want to go back to my old life where like (laughs) things seemed okay. Um, So making sure you have someone like that to keep you on track, which could be a professional, it could be a group, it could be an accountability buddy, but having someone to support you through it and keep you on track, I think would be kind of the third that would really help. And as part of that action step, really noting that you need to work on the mental as well as the physical. So just working with someone to help you reverse diet, for example, like eating more food might not be enough if they're not also helping you work through the body image side of things and that fear of lack of control. Yeah. So basically like education and then testing and then action steps with support would be probably my three main things to work on. 
right? They're awesome. I also hired a coach to help me through my process. Didn't touch on that, but I don't think I could have done it without them. It's such a hard process and having someone there for, like you said, accountability, but also for support and someone for you just to kind of debrief with. Can't recommend that highly enough. You've provided so much value, Holly. It's been an incredible um, opportunity to be able to speak with you. And I'm really thankful that you shared your story with us. Did you want to let everyone know where they can find you if they wanted to get in contact with you? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm mainly on Instagram in terms of social media. And there I'm just at Holly Priestland. So Holly, P-R-I-E-S-T-L-A-N-D. And then I also have a podcast of my own too with with two other amazing female trainers, friends of mine. And coincidentally, we'd actually all been through the hypothalamic amenorrhea journey. Wasn't the reason that we got together to do a podcast, but that turned out to be the case. And just as an example of how rife it is, right? Like we all live in different countries, completely different, all have our own businesses. And yet, like when we came together to talk about it, we're like, wow, we're all going through this. And so, yeah, we actually also did a podcast on all three of our journeys, if your listeners are interested. But so our, our podcast is called Be Well Cartel. And that's, you know, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, everywhere else that you would find a podcast. So yeah, I would say that if you're a fan of Natasha's, you'll probably also enjoy our podcast. Very similar missions. Great. I'll link all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much, Holly. It was awesome chatting with you. Thank you, Tash. I was so happy to be here and I really hope your listeners got some good value out of this. I'm sure they did. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Girl Fit Method podcast. I really enjoyed interviewing Holly. I will make sure to link all of her details in the show notes if you want to check out any more of her work or you would like to listen to her podcast, all that information will be in there. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review. It really helps me out and I will love you forever. All right, guys, until next time, have a great day.